If you've not been with us before, we have been uh, studying the book of 1 John, the apostle's uh, first letter to a church that he started. And over the past couple of weeks, we've seen him discuss what it looks like to live as a child of God. Two weeks ago, he talked about uh, practicing righteousness, knowing that you will sin until the day that you die. And following Jesus living as a child of God looks like repenting of it, asking for forgiveness. Last week, he talked about how children of God interact with others, that they love others and sacrifice for them. And this morning, he changes focus a little bit to talk about what influences us, who we should listen to, and what weight they have in our lives. And so this morning, as we hear the passage read, uh, I'd like to ask you a question that maybe makes you a little uncomfortable, uh, makes me somewhat uncomfortable. Why should you listen to me at all? Let's give ear to the reading of God's word. A reading from the book of 1 John chapter 3 and chapter 4. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit, excuse me, whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me, please. God, we come before you and we ask uh, that you would send your spirit to us this morning. We're thankful for another opportunity to hear from you, but we need your help to know and to believe that these words come from you to us that you are speaking to us this morning, that you have drawn us together to hear from you, uh, to experience your love for us through our fellowship, to be encouraged by you as we sing and we pray, and to be fed by you as we partake of the Lord's Supper. We ask that you would be with us this morning. Help us to experience the love of Jesus afresh. Pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. As a pastor, I have preached in three churches in my lifetime, and for some reason, at all three of these churches, I have had a fire alarm interrupt a sermon that I was preaching. I'm not kidding. Every single, all three. And I'll never forget the first time that it happened. I was a seminary student. I was an intern at a church in Charlotte, North Carolina. We met in a gymnasium at a Korean church. And this, they had invited me to preach. This was maybe my second or third sermon uh, there at the church. So like my fourth or fifth sermon ever in my entire life. Two to three minutes in, the fire alarm starts going off, right? In the gym. So flashing lights, this really loud, obnoxious. If you uh, were with uh, Grace South Bay a couple of months ago when we were at Bascom Community Center, you know what I'm talking about because it happened there too. Very loud, very obnoxious. And I, as an intern, I didn't know what to do. So I started scanning the congregation, looking for one of the three pastors or one of the eight elders uh, to try and get some help. 
none of them were there. They had all stayed home that Sunday morning or were out on vacation or whatever, and I started to panic. So I finally locked eyes with one of our community group leaders, one of my friends. I said, Forrest, would you check and see if this is a false alarm or we need to get up and leave or whatever? Uh, So he got up, went out the back door of the gym, which led into the kitchen area of the church, and immediately turned around and gave me the universal symbol, fire, we got to (laughs) go. At that point, I said, okay, folks, this is not a drill. We do need to stand up. We need to evacuate. Please use the front doors of the gym. If you go out the back doors to the kitchen, you'll be in the fire. At that point, everybody stood up, and they turned to their neighbor and started talking. (laughs) Nobody left. They didn't leave when I said a minute later, "I'm, I'm not kidding. There is a fire back in the kitchen we need to leave. They didn't leave when one of the children's ministries director came over from the children's, the classroom wing, and said, all the kids have evacuated with their leaders to the field behind the church. They didn't leave. They didn't leave when the fire department started rushing into the gym to get back to the kitchen in their full getup with axes and face masks and shoes, everything. Like, they didn't leave. I guess they needed, like, flames and smoke in their vicinity. How else would you know if you should listen uh, to this blaring, deafening, brightly flashing, blinding alarm, or if you could just ignore it and go back to your conversation? That's what John is talking about this morning. When it comes to the, the voices in our lives, the popular voices of our culture, people who claim authority and begin to tell us how to think, how to feel, how to live how we should order our lives and order our affections, how do we know who to listen to? How do we know how much weight to give a person or a voice in our life? Can we just pick and choose from what sounds good to us and push it all together? Are there people we shouldn't listen to? Now, it's helpful for us to to realize that John is speaking about humans because he does use this term spirits in here. And we might be tempted to think John is talking about spiritual forces, On some level, he is getting into that, but what he's talking about is you have to know the heart behind a person who is talking. Where are they coming from? What's the purpose of them giving this advice or giving this wisdom? And just for a reminder, John is speaking into a specific situation. He had planted this church. He, as an apostle, delivered to them the, the teachings of Jesus what he had seen Jesus do when Jesus was alive, what he had seen with Jesus dying on the cross, and what had happened when he experienced Jesus after his death, rising from the dead, touching the resurrected Jesus, eating food with the resurrected Jesus. That's what the apostle John started this church with. And there were some people who were part of that church who then left. And when they came back, uh, something was off. The people in his congregation recognized that what they were saying, what they were teaching, how they were living their lives didn't quite add up to what the apostle had said when he was first with them. And John writes this letter to say, brothers and sisters, you are children of God. Don't let these other people's words confuse you or to deceive you. You are children of God. You are following the true Jesus. John says you can't just listen to everybody that comes along pretending to know how you should live. You have to be wise. You have to be observant. You have to test the spirits. Test these people and what's in their heart and what's, why they're saying what they're saying. And he gives them this test. And I think for us it's helpful to see three questions, to ask. Three questions that get us to the heart of the test John is giving to his congregation. 
The first is, to whom do these people point? The second is, where are these people from? And the third is, who listens to them? Right? And as we see John answer these questions, it'll help us know how to engage with this test in our own lives. Who do they point? To whom do they point? Where are they from? And who listens to them? Let's start by asking this question, to whom do they point? This is where John puts the weight of his test, right? Everything boils down to this question. To whom do they point? It's like a 75-point question on a 100-point test. We got to get this one right. Verse 2 of chapter 4, John says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Boom. Jesus. Do they point to Jesus or not? John is writing to people who, like us, are longing for change. They're longing for healing. Everyone who has ever lived has known that their life is broken in some way. Physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, we all know brokenness. We sense the brokenness and we long for some kind of change, for some kind of healing. We want to have a sense of peace when it comes to engaging with the world. We want to have this sense of healing as it comes to our relationships with our friends or our family, right? And at some point, we might even say, we know we need some kind of restoration when it comes to engaging with God. John says, as I told you when I was with you, Jesus is the only way to that restoration, that peace, and that healing. And anyone who proclaims anything or anybody else will not lead you to that peace, that restoration. Now when John says they must uh, confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, yes, he does mean proclaiming that Jesus was a real man, that he came physically and lived with humans. That's important for the situation John is writing into. But more than that, what he is saying is that they must confess that Jesus' incarnation, his becoming man, had a goal. There was a desired outcome for Jesus taking on flesh. It wasn't just for fun. And that goal was to save us. His purpose in becoming man was to redeem and to restore us. John tells us Jesus came to us, he became man, he lived with us as a human, and he died for us, and he rose from the dead to give you access, to give me access to the peace and the restoration and the healing that we long for. This whole thing is about Jesus, about his life, his death, and his resurrection, The whole of the Bible is about Jesus. Everything that we do here at this church is about Jesus. He is the peace. He is the restoration. He is the healing that you are longing for. And John says, we must confess that. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Now, notice that there is no other category here. It's not like John is saying, we're the good guys. We come from God and we proclaim Jesus' life, death, and and resurrection. And those guys out there, they're not from God. They're the bad guys. And they're going to confess Caesar or these other Greek gods or some other idol, right? John isn't creating these uh, two uh, at-war religions, right? It's not following Jesus or following 
the Greek gods. What John is saying here is either someone will confess the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, or they're going to confess something that leads you away from Jesus. Anything that isn't Jesus leads you away from Jesus. I don't know about you, I don't really like going to the doctor. I don't like sitting on the table in the stupid paper gown. I don't like being poked and prodded and told that I need to lose weight or I need to change this or I need to do that. But I cognitively know if there's something wrong with me, it's the doctor that's going to be able to diagnose and prescribe something that will heal me. But because I don't like to go, I try and create these other ways to health, right? Maybe you do this too. For a while, for me, it was vitamins, right? I'm just going to take a multivitamin and vitamin A and vitamin B and all this stuff, and that's going to keep me healthy, right? I'm currently in like a, a CrossFit kick. If I do CrossFit four days a week, I'm going to be healthy, and I don't need to, to worry about going to the doctor because I'm pursuing health, right? Maybe for you, it's sleep. If I can just get eight hours of sleep, I know that I'm going to be healthy, and I don't need to go to the doctor that much because I'm already healthy. I'm good, right? Maybe it's dietary change. I know that I'm not going to change my diet. I'm not worrying about that. <laughs> Right? But we figure out ways that we can make ourselves healthy. No matter what it is, it leads you away from the doctor, from the only source of health, physical health for you. John is saying, if anyone else is confessed, it leads you away from Jesus. Anyone or anything that isn't Jesus leads you away from Jesus. Now, today, for us, I find that we latch on to things that confess our own capability, our own strength, right? Anything that confesses, well, me, right? We like to follow those voices, those ways of living. Popular spirituality, for example, it encourages us to find our inner peace, right? To connect with whatever deity you choose to follow by looking inward, by centering yourself. Maybe it is religious moralism, right? tells you that God has a certain expectation for your life and you need to work harder and you need to obey more, you need to be good and you need to do good because once you reach that goal, you are good. Maybe it's relativism, right? I, I'm gonna believe what I wanna believe and live like I wanna believe and you can't say anything about it. And the converse is true. I'm not responsible to judge how you live or how you, what you believe. I think for us though, probably apathy is what's most appealing. I don't want to think about these things. I just want to live my own life. I want to be able to do whatever I want to do. That sounds good. All of those things lead us inward toward ourselves and away from Jesus. Any voice, any line of thought, any way of living that directs you to yourself, they all confess me. They lead me inward and away from Jesus. No matter how good it feels, no matter how justified you think you are in living that way, no matter how much you think it works, if it confesses anyone or anything other than Jesus' incarnation, his crucifixion, and his resurrection, it's never going to bring you the restoration and the healing that you're longing for. Now that might be a little challenging. How are, are we going to know if someone is professing Jesus, right? That might set up something that makes us believe, oh, I've listened to this person for 20 minutes and I've not heard them say anything about Jesus, not valuable, get out of here. Well, testing takes more time than that. And sometimes people come around and they're not talking about Jesus at all. How do we know if we should listen to them or not? John gives us the second question, the second criteria in the test. Where are they from? The first is, to whom do they point? 
And the second is where are they from? In verse 5, in the beginning of verse 6, John says this. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Now, on the surface, this might seem like John is uh, giving some kind of xenophobic warning. If they're from out there, if they're out there in the world, they're not from us. We are safe. They're unsafe. We shouldn't listen to them at all. But John doesn't use world as some kind of location marker, per se. To, To John, in his language, world is anything that doesn't have Jesus, He's saying those people are coming from a place where Jesus isn't. That's not the center of their lives. In other parts of his letter, he calls it the coming from darkness. These teachers have come from darkness. Why would you listen to someone who is trying to tell you about someone they've never seen? They've never experienced. John is saying they come from a place where they don't know Jesus. And they're trying to tell you about Jesus? I've talked before about my struggles with driving righteousness, how I think I've figured out the right way to drive and everyone else should drive just like me. Well, I ran into it again the other day. Um, Not literally. I know how to drive. I didn't run into anything. Um, But I was driving my two girls to school in the morning, and I was turning out of our neighborhood onto Winchester Avenue to take them down to Campbell, Uh, pulled up to the stoplight, and I was the fifth car in line. Light turns green. Four cars in front of me all want to turn right on Winchester to go towards 280. But I want to turn left to go to Campbell. There are people walking across the crosswalk on Winchester, so they wait. Light turns yellow. No one has gone yet. And in my impatience and my brilliant thinking, I gun it around all four people into the oncoming lane of traffic, pull into the intersection, and turn left onto Winchester, down to Campbell. I saved at least another four minutes. Margaret, our three-year-old, loved it. She loves it when the car goes fast. So she squealed with delight. But then this voice came from the back seat. Michaela, our six-year-old. Daddy, I don't think you were supposed to do that. (laughs) And she was right. right? I felt a a little bit convicted. Right, My, My frustration of potentially being late, my impatience, led me to break the law and go through an intersection uh, in the wrong lane, on an orange, Probably, no, I wasn't breaking the speed limit, definitely not. Um, But it would be silly of me to begin to make all my driving decisions based on what she said. Or to ask her what I should do in a situation where I felt like we were going to be late. Because she's six and doesn't have a driver's license. That's what John is getting at here. He is saying, these people that have come into your midst are trying to tell you about Jesus. They're proclaiming to you healing and restoration, but they're coming from a place where the only source of healing and restoration isn't. They're not from Jesus, right? And it's at this point that it's helpful to remember that in in John's church, there were two lines of teaching. There was the apostles' line of teaching, those who had heard Jesus speak directly, who had seen him live his life and work miracles, who had watched him die on the cross and had interacted with him after he had risen from the dead. And they planted these churches based on that. That was their teaching. And then these people went away from that congregation and when they came back, they had a different line of thought, a different line of teaching. And John is speaking just to those two lines of thought here. And he's saying they come from a place where Jesus is not. And so their words are not valuable. 
They will not lead you to life, to healing and to restoration. So cast their words out of your mind. Don't follow them at all. But for us today, there's not just two lines of thought, is there? There are many lines of thought. There are many people who are telling us how we should think, how we should feel, how we should live. And John's application of cast their words out and ignore them isn't directly to us. Instead, as we apply this to our lives, the question becomes, how much weight should we give someone's words? How much Uh, Should their wisdom change how we live our lives? And John says, notice where they're coming from. Are they coming from Jesus or are they not? I think a really good example of what this looks like lived out is by talking about Marie Kondo. If you haven't seen the Netflix special or read her book, she has come up with this way of bringing peace and joy into your life by tidying up the stuff you have in your home. You keep the things that bring you joy and you get rid of the stuff that is, doesn't bring you joy, right? You cast it out. This is uh, the words directly from her website. People around the world have been drawn to this philosophy, not only due to its effectiveness, but also because it places great importance on being mindful, introspective, and forward-looking. Now, it might be easy for us to hear alarm bells going off. Wait a minute, she's talking about going inward. So she's not talking about Jesus, so we got to just ignore this, get away from this. I can keep all my stuff. (laughs) That would be silly because she's not proclaiming to bring you spiritual restoration, right? She's not trying to tackle a spiritual issue. She's helping you tidy up your home and bring, bring peace and joy to your house, right? That's a good thing. It's good to have peace and joy in your house, but it would be foolish for us to think that bringing peace to your house is going to bring peace to your heart, to bring peace to your universe, right? Take the stuff that Marie Kondo has to say if you subscribe to it and know that it's going to help get your, your closet and your cupboard in order, but it will never help you get your heart and your soul in order because only Jesus can do that. Know how much weight her words have for your world. Now again, this can get challenging because there are many people out there who are proclaiming to be Christians, telling us how to think and to feel and to live. How are we supposed to know how much weight their words have? How are we supposed to know where they're from? What if they are following the real Jesus? How do we know? This is where John's third criteria comes in, the third question that he asks. First, To whom do they point? Second, where are they from? And third, who listens to them? Who listens to them? Who is it that follows what they have to say? Who has bought into this line of thought or this voice? Verse five, John says, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us to us, right? It seems easy for us to understand what John is saying. There are people who love Jesus who listen to people who talk about Jesus. All right, that makes sense, but it does kind of seem like John might be being polarizing on purpose, right? Creating an us versus them scenario, almost like, do you see those people? Do you really want to be like those people over there? They listen to these voices that are not from Jesus, John's not talking about the makeup of the audience, right? He's not trying to tell us 
if you like what you see out of those people, follow who they follow, right? That would be really easy for us to do. I like these folks over here. I'm gonna do, uh, organize my life the way they organize their life. I like this group of people and they seem to all listen to this cultural guru. I'm gonna follow him as well so that my life looks like this, right? That's not a good way to live. Eventually, we'll all become our mother's worst nightmare jumping off bridges when our friends do. That's why I included verse 24 of chapter three in this. John, at the end of chapter three, which we looked at last week, says this, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. John has set up this uh, logical uh, line of thought, all right? It's somewhat difficult to follow. I'm gonna summarize it briefly. John has told his church, we, the apostles, come from God. People who are of God listen to us. How will you know if they are from God? They live like it. They'll live like a child of God. They will keep God's commandments. They have been powerfully changed by this Jesus that we follow to live as a child of God. This is all connected to the other sections of child of God living that we've talked about. He says, you'll know who listens to the people who are speaking from God because they'll live like it. They'll recognize that they're gonna fail. They'll be able to admit when they've hurt other people or they've sinned against God, against someone else, and they'll repent of it. They'll ask for forgiveness and they'll forgive others who hurt them. That's what it looks like to be changed by Jesus. You'll also recognize it in the way that they treat other people. They won't treat them as utilities only looking to, to get some kind of uh, enjoyment, some kind of fix, some kind of gain from another person, and then cutting them out of their lives when the ut- utility is gone. They will love them. They'll sacrifice for them. They have been changed by Jesus, who took on flesh, lived as a human, died, and rose again. They've been changed by it. That is what we look for when you look at who listens to them. John says in verse four, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John is saying here, this is what's ultimately important about following Jesus and recognizing people who are following Jesus. Jesus is greater and more powerful than anyone or anything this world has to offer. If you follow him, he is in you and he is changing you, bringing you the restoration and the peace and the healing that you are looking for. Which means that people who proclaim Jesus, who come from God and are proclaiming the true good news of the gospel, folks who listen to them are being changed by him. If they're not being changed, they're not following Jesus. It's as simple as that. If you've watched the news at all this week, you've probably seen a replay of 18-year-old Brant Jean hug Amber Geiger in a courtroom. Amber Geiger is a police officer who broke into Brant's older brother's apartment thinking it was her own. And when she found his older brother in that apartment, she shot and killed him thinking he had broken into her apartment. And while Brant was on the stand testifying, he looked at his brother's murderer in the face and said, I forgive you. My family forgives you. And you need to know the only reason we can do that is because we recognize how we have been forgiven by Jesus and we encourage you to receive that same Jesus. 
Then he asked for permission to stand up and to give her a hug in a courtroom. And there's a reason that Christians and non-Christians alike have been fascinated and fixated on this event. It's because we all recognized that he behaved differently than we would expect ourselves to behave. I don't know that I would be able to say those words and to hug my brother's murderer. There's something in him that has been changed by this Jesus that he proclaimed. That is the Jesus that we should follow. Those are the words that lead us to Jesus who brings us the peace and restoration and healing that we long for, right? And and, in listening to that Jesus and following that Jesus, he changes us and makes us able to live as a child of God, right? That looks like being able to forgive someone as this young man did. It makes us able to love others in a way that is not self-serving, but in a way that is sacrificial, which means in this case, celebrating this beautiful uh, act of forgiveness and also weeping and crying when justice is not served. Whether it's your own voice, the voice of your friends or your family, someone in our culture who has claimed authority and begins to tell you how to think, how to feel, how to act, if they don't come back to the fact that Jesus' life His death and his resurrection are the only hope we have for peace, for healing and restoration. You should not follow them. Take what is good from them for sure, but do not let them order your life. Listen to people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. See people whose lives are being changed by their stories, by their podcasts, by their books, by their blogs, by their art, by their music, whatever it is, if their output is changing the lives of people to look more like Jesus, that's from God. That's a beautiful thing. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are in the business of bringing change to us. If we were left to our own devices, our own abilities, we would never change. But you come to us You save us. You not only bring us from death into life in an immediate way, but you also bring new life to us now. You begin to change us now, presently, to make us live more like Jesus, to repent, to forgive, to love, and to sacrifice. We pray that you would help us to be wise, to see Jesus at work in the lives of other people, to take the good things of the world, but to also be aware that Jesus is our only hope for healing and restoration and peace, which all of us long for. We thank you for him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.